Hello and welcome to The Grove Zone. You have tuned into the podcast of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. At Union Grove, we are learning, serving, giving, and connecting under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. David Anthony Clark, Sr. For more information on Union Grove, find us on the web at www. Dot the grovewr.org. And now, here's a word from the Lord. Deuteronomy 16, verse 18, verses 18 to 20, and then we're also going to look at Deuteronomy 17, verses 8 through 13. Deuteronomy 16, verses 18 through 20, and then Deuteronomy 17, verses 8 to 13. I also want to bless God for our conference call audience, all of you on the conference call. We thank God for you on today and uh, we pray that everybody gets the word now uh, we got Deuteronomy 16 verses 18 to 20 I'm only going to read those verses to get us started only going to read those well I'll tell you what I'll read all of it Deuteronomy 16 uh, this might be the most Bible some of y'all read all this month Deuteronomy 16 (laughs) I'm just saying Deuteronomy 16 verses 18 to 20 and then Deuteronomy 17 Verses 8 through 13. This entire, this entire sermon series is entitled Here. Here. It comes from one of the major verses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where we are told to hear. The Lord our God is one Lord. We are to love him with all of our heart, all of our, heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. Uh, that word here is the word Shema. Shema means to hear not only with the ear, but basically to hear with the heart and hear with the intent. Uh, you're giving it your full uh, undivided attention, and you're ready to comply with what you hear. As we journey through Deuteronomy, we want everyone to hear, especially our youth. For as I've been sharing with you uh, through, this, through this journey through Deuteronomy, that it is a, a narrative of Moses really speaking to a younger crowd who's about to go into Canaan and, and conquer and keep Canaan. And he's trying to help them to hear and heed the principles that can help them prosper. And so I pray that all of us will truly hear, especially our children and grandchildren. Deuteronomy 16, 18, Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise, and pervert the words of the righteous. That which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live, and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Then in Deuteronomy 17, verse 8, we find these words, If there arise a matter too hard for thee in judgment, between blood and blood, between plea and plea, and between stroke and stroke, being matters of controversy within thy gates, Then shalt thou arise and get thee up into the place which the Lord thy God shall choose. And thou shalt come unto the priests, the Levites, and unto the judge that that shall be in those days and inquire. And they shall show thee the sentence of judgment. And thou shalt do according to the sentence which they of that place which the Lord shall choose shall show thee. And thou shalt observe to do according to all they inf- all that they inform thee. 
According to the sentence of the law, which they shall teach thee, and according to the judgment, which they shall tell thee, thou shalt do. Thou shalt not decline from the sentence, which they shall show thee to the right hand, or nor, nor to the left. And the man that will do presumptuously, and will not hearken unto the priest, uh, that standeth to minister there before the Lord thy God, or unto the judge, even that man shall die. And thou shalt put away from the put away the evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear and do no more presumptuously. I want to focus on Deuteronomy 16 and 20 which can help us capture both of these texts today. Deuteronomy 16 20. I want to read it from the New Living Translation this time though. Deuteronomy 16 20 from the New Living Translation. Let true justice prevail so you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's what I want to talk about today. Let true justice prevail. Let true justice prevail. This final Sunday of Black History Month, I want to talk about let true justice prevail. The question for us this morning is what is justice? What is justice? It can be defined as a righteous rule that is to, that is to guide judges. Justice in scripture is interchanged repeatedly with righteousness, fairness, and it means legal equity. Justice or righteousness is to be aligned with the standards established for us by a just and righteous God. In Psalm 11 and 7, Psalm 11, 7 says, For the righteous Lord loves justice, the virtuous will see his face. Psalm 89, 14 says this about God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Justice in the earth is, is interchanged with righteousness in the Bible. And it reflects a just or righteous God. It, is, it means to align yourself with, the right, uh, with, with God's standards for right and justice. Uh, Isaiah 41 and 10 says this about our righteous God. It says, fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Psalm 33, 4 and 5 speaks of the righteousness of God. It says, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. All I'm trying to say, y'all, God is a righteous God. And if we're going to be just, if we're going to exercise justice, what it really means is that our standard of right must align with God's standard of right. For he is a righteous God. And he desires and demands that his people be just and do justly. Watch this especially to each other, especially to each other. Micah 6 and 8 says, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Martin Luther King Jr. says something very profound about love and justice in a speech to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in 1967. He said, and I quote, now, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. 
Injustice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. So it all works together in the, in the scriptures. Uh, justice and righteousness is the same thing. And it is to be driven. It is to be fueled. It, it is to be empowered by love. And we need it, y'all. We need it. Just as the woman of God, Minister Steely, was praying today, we are facing so many issues of injustice in this country. We need it. Asians need it. There are crimes against Asians and Asian Americans. Uh, they're, they're on the rise because uh, our, our former president insisted on referring to COVID-19 as the China virus. Black people need justice. Nothing new. We still, after all this time, need justice. Our youth need justice. Our youth, our youth in schools need justice. School systems disproportionately punish African-American students more than white students. Our young people need justice. Poor people need justice. Poor people need it. The unborn need it. The unborn need justice. The truth is, as Minister Steely eloquently stated, everybody needs it. Everybody needs salvation. Everybody needs God. Everybody needs justice. I mean, after all, who wants to live in a world where it seems you are constantly denied justice? Who wants to live in a society where you know law enforcement and the court system practice a separate set of rules for people like you? I find it interesting that so many people see this to be true here at home in America. In fact, there were many persons in media and politics and various sectors of society and of various races and political persuasions who definitely articulated that had Black Lives Matter stormed the Capitol in January, it would have, to it would have been a totally different scenario in January. It would be a totally different scenario now. As a matter of fact, if Black Lives Matter had stormed the Capitol in January, it would have been a whole different scene in, D in, in Washington, D.C. in December. They'd had that place on lock long before the first brother showed up. God commanded this next generation in Deuteronomy who's entering Canaan to set up judges and officers to handle differences among them. One more time. Look at Deuteronomy 16, 18. Deuteronomy 16, 18. Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates. Judges. Judges would be civil magistrates, not exactly like those in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, you may have more military leaders who are referred to as judges leading the people of God. Rather, rather what, what's happening here, God is calling for, for there to be judges like you and I would understand. Uh, in, in our modern day context, the judge puts on a black robe and sits behind the bench and, and, and administers the law. That's, that's basically what God is calling for here in Deuteronomy 16. Uh, they were to judge, as, as the Bible says, they, they were to judge. This word in the Hebrew means to avenge. It, it, it can also mean, in addition to avenge, it can also mean to condemn. It, it can mean to, to defend. They were, they were to defend folk who had been wrong. They were to avenge folk uh, who had been done wrong. They were to uh, condemn folk who had done the wrong. They, they were to govern. They were to vindicate. They, uh, they, they were to punish. They, they, were to they were to rule or decide controversy. So if a controversial issue came up between two people or two parties, uh, they would bring it before this judge and the judge would make a decision as to what the outcome or the sentence should be. 
But God not only told them to raise up judges, he also told them to raise up officers. These officers, these officers were subordinate leaders who implemented the decisions of the judges. They, they, were, to, they were to enforce the law. So they may have been, in their context, uh, law enforcement. So God may have been calling for in Deuteronomy judges who would uh, uh, administer the law and, and, and officers who would, who would be law enforcement persons throughout uh, Canaan when the children of Israel would arrive there. They were to follow that which is, as, as verse 20 states in the King James Version, they were to follow that which is altogether just. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, let justice prevail. In verse 20, that phrase, that which is altogether just, is, is actually uh, repeating the word justice in Hebrew. It's saying that which is justice, justice. It, remind, it may remind some of us who are acquainted with the New Testament when Jesus would say verily, verily, or call someone's name two times, Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, when somebody calls your whole government name. You know, Rashi, Bartholomew, Epaphroditus, uh, Erastamus, Simon, Reagan, the third. You know, when they call your whole name. So when something is, is, is similar to when, 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 when it's something is stated twice, verily, verily, Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha. So in verse 20, God is really placing emphasis. He said, don't, don't play with justice now. That which is altogether just, that which is justice, justice. It's almost like saying verily, verily, Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon, this justice, justice. God, even in the Old Testament, is putting such an emphasis on justice. He says it two times to make sure that the people of God understood that this is emphasized and that they were to they were to be serious about justice. They were to pursue ardently justice. They they were to chase justice. They they were to run after justice. They they were to aim eagerly to secure justice as they would practice justice. We need these types of judges and officers uh, in our society today. We need this type of justice in our world today. Persons who will who will strive to do what God has said is right. That's what we need sitting on every bench in every courthouse. That's what we need behind every badge at every level of law enforcement. That's what we need. And what Moses was telling this generation that's about to go into Canaan and seize the land. Watch this, y'all. He's telling them when y'all get there and you've wiped out the Canaanites and you're settled in the land, y'all can set up a new and improved justice system from scratch. You have something better than what you had in the wilderness. You're going to have something better than, than, than you could ever imagine. You can set up your own court system from scratch. You can set up your own law enforcement system from scratch. You can appoint your own judges. You, you can hire your own law enforcement. You can, you can start it from scratch. Imagine that. Imagine that moving into a land where where you can set it all up. They can they can set up the whole judicial system, the whole law enforcement system. They they won't have to worry about Canaanite police officers harassing them on the streets or pressuring them to confess to committing crimes that they did not commit. The only officers on the streets would be Hebrews or Jews just like them. 
These Hebrews can set up their entire judicial system based on God's word and, and don't have to worry about Canaanite district attorneys or Canaanite attorneys general withholding evidence that could exonerate them. Only Hebrews and Jews would be district attorneys. Only Hebrews and Jews, people just like them, would be attorneys general. And certainly this would ensure, this would ensure that they never be victims of injustice. If, if you got police officers who look just like you that that can ensure that you'd never be a victim of injustice if you have a district attorney or attorney general and judges at every level in the whole judicial system who look just like you that can ensure you will never be the victim of injustice the devil is a lie the devil is a lie they can look just like you and still inflict you with injustice because watch this God wanted them to look out for the poor because poverty can be a wider gateway to injustice than race people who look like you sitting on judges benches don't guarantee you're going to get justice people who look like you wearing police officers uniforms do not guarantee you're going to get justice you can be walking down the street minding your own business your own innocent business and still be harassed by a police officer who looks just like you they can roll up on you and stop you because you look suspicious. Poverty can make police officers, DAs, judges, and jurors colorblind. Let's say it again. Poverty. Poverty can make police officers, DAs, judges, and jurors colorblind. And besides, people who look like you aren't guaranteed to treat you justly. In fact, People who worship like you or worship with you aren't guaranteed to treat you, treat you justly. Remember when Paul got on the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Let me read y'all the transcript from, from, from uh, the narrative of what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 beginning at verse 1. These, po these people who, who basically they, 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 they were, they were kind of... Uh, 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 diversified to, to a certain extent but they they all worshiped alike they all worshiped the same god they all worshiped together and they were taking each other to court and not only taking each other to court they were taking each other to court to to appear before heathen judges and look at what Paul said. Paul had a problem with it. Paul heard about it. And Paul was like, no, they ain't, Paul. Yes, they are. Paul said, no, they ain't. No, they ain't suing one another. Not believers in Jesus Christ who worship together in the same town, probably even in the same congregation, suing one another. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 1. When one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary dis disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes about such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. 
Paul was saying, sort of, he's hinting at the same thing that God is calling for this next generation to establish when he says, whatever issues may arise between y'all, and watch this, God is saying, I know y'all going to have some issues. I know y'all going to fall out with one another. So here's what you do. When you get to Canaan, you set up a system where you have judges. You have judges who worship me and honor me, honor my word, honor my law, who will help y'all settle the issues y'all have with one another. I know y'all going to have issues. I know you're going to disagree with one another. But y'all can handle them. Y'all can settle the issues amongst yourselves without having to go to people who worship other gods, without having to go to people who ain't studying my word or my law or what I have declared to be right. So Moses encouraged this up and coming generation to let justice prevail. How is it to work, Pastor Clark? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. A couple of things real quick. We're going to raise up. It was to work like this. Number one, number one, righteousness was required. Righteousness was required. I'm still in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 to 20. Uh, Judges and officers, shalt thou make in all thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest or twist judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons or treat certain people one way and other people another way. Neither take a gift or a bribe, for a bribe doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. That which is altogether just, that which is justice, justice shalt thou follow pursue chase after practice that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the lord thy god giveth thee their judgment y'all was to be in alignment with god's law it was to be just righteous in alignment with god's word the judges and the officers were to exercise judges justice in righteousness they were to ensure they gave every one of their hebrew brothers and sisters equal justice They were not to give certain people like the rich and powerful five-star justice and others like the poor, the widows, and the orphans no justice at all. They were forbidden to accept anything like bribes, gifts, campaign contributions from certain people that would distort their judgment. They had to ensure their eyes were not blind or, or that there was no film over their eyes or practicing justice as if their eyes of righteousness and equity had been been gouged out. The judges and officers were to treat everybody right. Everybody. So righteousness then is, a, is to align with what God says is right. But now for us as New Testament believers, as followers of Jesus Christ in the kingdom, we are made righteous through Christ. We mature in righteousness through sanctification as his followers. Look at Philippians 3 and 9. It says, I no longer, Philippians 3 and 9, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Paul, what are you saying? Paul says that when I exercise faith to, to, to believe, to receive and believe uh, Jesus as my Lord and Savior, God makes me righteous. I've been, I've been made righteous. It's not because of all the old ladies I've helped across the street. It's not because of how much money I've donated to charity. No, when I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, God says, all right, you are right with me from now on. Because you have accepted my son, you are right with me from now on. But being made right through Christ describes our position in him. It, is, it describes our position in him. It is to go deeper than that. 
It is to go deeper than surface level. Being made righteous positionally is to go down so it happens personally. Being made righteous positionally is to go down, down into our hearts, down into our souls so it happens personally. This righteousness is to permeate our hearts. It empowers us to treat people right. For Philippians 1 and 11, Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 1 11, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Paul, what are you saying in Philippians 1 and 11? Paul says in Philippians 1 and 11 that when you accept Jesus Christ, you are made righteous positionally, which means that as far as God is concerned, when he looks at you, y'all all right. Y'all straight. Y'all, you're in right position with him. But God wants to take it deeper than that to where you're more than you're more than right positionally. You're right personally. It's almost like when you know somebody who has the job, they got the job, they show up for work, but they don't do any work. They got they got the job, but they ain't working. There's some people like that in the body of Christ. You got the job, you got the salvation, but you're not doing any work. But the Bible would make it clear that those of us who are righteous, we got the job and we doing the work. We we are saved positionally and personally. Uh, we had some carpet replaced in our home this past weekend. And so there were some areas that had spots in the carpet and I, I could never get them out. If I got down on my knees and scrubbed and then shampooed the carpet, could not get those spots up. No scrubbing with the brush, no shampooing could remove those stains. So when they removed the carpet this past week, I looked at the old padding that was under that old carpet. And a lot of those stains were in the padding. It had gone down through the carpet and established a permanent home in the padding. Are y'all with me so far? Even the padding was stained in certain areas. Nothing could penetrate the stain on the surface and remove it on the pad. Perhaps that's why the stains would return after being shampooed. It takes some strong stuff to cleanse beneath the surface. It takes some very powerful stuff to go deep beyond what's visible and on the outside and reach what's undergirding that thing. If true justice is going to prevail, we need something that goes so deep it removes the stain of injustice and unrighteousness and wickedness. The only thing I know that can that can penetrate outward expressions of religious righteousness is the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So justice can prevail when we live as righteousness requires. Do that. And treat people right. Second thing I tell you, and how this, how justice prevailing works, how prevalent justice works, is rebellion was to be remedied. Rebellion was to be remedied. Righteousness was to be required. Rebellion was to be remedied. I'm in chapter 17, verses 10 through 12 for this one. 17, 10 through 12. And thou shalt do according to the sentence which they of that place which the Lord shall choose shall show thee and thou shalt observe to do according to all that they inform thee according to the sentence of the law which they shall teach thee and according to the judgment which they shall tell thee thou shalt do thou shalt not decline from the sentence which they shall show thee to the right hand nor to the left and the man that will do presumptuously and will not hearken unto the priest that standeth to minister there before the Lord thy God or unto the judge even that man shall die and Thou shalt put away the evil from Israel. Rebellion was to be remedied. If folk, what these verses are saying is, if folk within the community of faith could not resolve their own matters, they were to bring it to the judge. 
All right, got it. We're together so far. All right. The judge was to render righteous judgment equitably no matter who was involved. All right, got it. No problem. If the judge rendered judgment and someone rebelled against their, their sentence, they were to be killed. I know you. Oh, my God, Pastor Clark. Hey, I didn't write it. I didn't, I didn't come up with this. This is the book. Rebellion against the judge's judgment is an act of injustice against God's law. If the judge gives a sentence that is in line with what God prescribed in his word and you rebel against it, you're not rebelling against that judge. You are rebelling against God. God prescribed a remedy by ordering the rebellious to be killed. This was God's remedy. Death. He was saying that anyone who would rebel against what the judges and officers deemed to be right in the eyes of God was to be executed. But keep in mind that the rebellion that was to be remedied was rebellion against justice aligned with the word of God, not tradition. Not tradition. Martha approached Jesus looking for justice because she felt her sister Mary violated her. While Martha was grinding in the kitchen, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary, Mary was participating, y'all. She, she might have been a sister. She, she might have been. Mary was participating in what's known as the first sit-in in Scripture. Yeah, we know about sit-ins, don't we, as black folk? We, we know about sit-ins at those lunch counters. Uh, Mary is participating in a sit-in at the feet of Jesus because women weren't supposed to sit at the feet of a, of a rabbi. And here is Mary protesting. Mary is protesting by sitting at Jesus' feet anyway. But when Martha asked Jesus to remedy her rebellion, Jesus made it clear that Mary wasn't rebelling against the law. She was rebelling against man-made tradition. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus did the same thing. He rebelled against man-made traditions and misinterpretations of God's law, God's will. He wasn't the only one. God, uh, Peter and John were rebellious against misinterpretations of God's law and God's will. Paul was rebellious. John the Revelator wrote the book of Revelation while exiled on the Isle of Patmos because he was rebellious against misinterpretations of God's law and God's will. So what is our kingdom remedy for rebellion against righteous judgment? What are we to do as followers of Jesus when there's rebellion against what we believe? God has said is right we need to ensure the rebellion is against righteous judgment according to God's word and not our man-made traditions Jesus gave us a remedy he gave us a remedy he said for us to seek reconciliation with people who have committed an act of injustice against us if we go to them and they don't bend then he said go back with some witnesses if that doesn't work bring it before the church so so the church can bring some justice to the matter if the offender rebels against the church's judgment jesus gave a remedy he said each person in the church is to treat the rebellious offender as a heathen or a corrupt tax collector this would not be listen this would not be an expression of holier than thou rigid surface level righteousness it would be an expression of tough love to distance yourself from rebellious folk that's what Jesus called for us to do uh, when Paul told the Corinthians to remove the sex offending young man from their fellowship it was to be an act of tough love watch this in hopes of reconciliation that's what we do that's what we as the people of God do. We, we seek to remedy the situation by seeking reconciliation. But if that doesn't work, 
We got to socially, spiritually, lovingly distance ourselves from folk who just ain't going to do right. That's the word. This remedy for rebellion uh, we are given is a dose of tough love that seeks reconciliation. And as a last resort, we must distance ourselves from the rebellious. First Thessalonians 5.14 says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Then in 2 Thessalonians 3 and 6, we're told, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Again, Martin Luther King Jr. said, Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. We got work to do, y'all. We can remedy, we can remedy the rebellion. Finally, finally, how, how can we ensure, how can we work towards letting justice prevail? Finally, y'all, number three, removal of evil was to be a reality. Righteousness was required. Rebellion was to be remedied. Then number three, removal of evil was to be a reality. I'm still in Deuteronomy 17, looking at verse 12, verses 12 and 13. And the man, the man that will do presumptuously and will not hearken unto the priest that standeth to minister there before the Lord thy God or unto the judge, even that man shall die. And thou shalt put away the evil from Israel. And all the people shall hear and fear and do no more presumptuously. God, what are you getting at? I want all evil removed from Israel. Anybody acting evil, anybody in rebellion, they are evil. We are, God says, I want all evil removed from Israel. Evil was to be removed. Evil was to be removed. If folk within the community of faith could not resolve their own matters. They were to bring it to the judge. All right, got it. We heard you the last time. Okay, I'm just making sure. If the judge rendered judgment and someone rebelled against their judgment, they were to be killed. They were to be executed. All right, heard you the last time. Wrap this up. Okay. Why? Why were they to be killed? Why? To remove evil from Israel. That's a powerful vision when I think about it. That's a powerful vision to have a group of people where there is no evil. That's a powerful vision. That's, that's a powerful vision. I mean, I mean, to our young people, can you even imagine attending a school where there is no evil? For those of you who work, those of you, can you imagine working in a workplace where there is no evil? I mean, not one of your coworkers is even not one of your supervisors. Is Eve, can you imagine being in a family where not one of your cousins, not one of your siblings, not nary one of your uncles is evil? Can you imagine living in a subdivision where not one of your neighbors is evil? Mm. What's even more difficult to fathom? Can you imagine being in a church where ain't nobody in the whole church just downright flat out butt naked barefoot evil? God said, I want them executed. Why? To remove all evil. That's a huge vision right there. That's a huge vision.
If that vision were to actually manifest, Canaan would be smaller than Perry. Canaan's, Canaan's population would be smaller than Perry. If that were actually executed, uh, Canaan's population would be smaller than the KTL, Kathleen, Georgia. I mean, all evil. Imagine that. You mean no racism? No discrimination against the poor? Everyone would get a fair shake in any courtroom? Mm. Whether you had a powerful lawyer or a public defender, you mean every, everybody would get a fair shake? There'd be no evil? That's a lot of work. That's an awful lot of work. Get rid of all evil? That's a lot of work. And Jesus gave us work to do. Yes, he did. He gave us work to do to remove evil, all evil, from yourself. I'm in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus expects his followers to remove evil from their own lives. Matthew 7, 1 through 5, one of the most misconstrued verses in scripture. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Folk love to just do whatever they want to do, live however they want to live. And they say, the Bible say don't judge. That is not what it says. The Bible, when Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 and 1, do not judge others and you will not be judged. He's saying, be careful how you judge. He's not telling you don't judge at all. He's saying, be careful. Be careful. The same way, the same standards you have for other people, it can come back to you. Be careful. Look at verse 2, Matthew 7 and 2. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a big old log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you. I'm a professional people perfecter. I'm a, I'm a professional people helper. Let me, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Verse 5. Wow. Matthew 7 and 5. This is coming from Jesus. Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And please notice again how Jesus referred to persons who behave this way as hypocrites. Hypocrites. He doesn't just say, no, y'all wrong for that. Y'all wrong for that now. No. Hypocrites. Somebody call you a hypocrite. You're going to be cool. You're going to put that on social media and put a hashtag. Oh, they, well, they called me out. They say I'm a hypocrite. I guess I'm a hypocrite. No, you're going to be ready to fight. <laughs> hypocrites. Hypocrisy is evil. Hypocrisy is is evil. If justice is going to prevail, we need to remove evil, including this one, hypocrisy, from our own lives. Unfortunately, there is a prevalence of hypocrisy in the body of Christ. Work on you. Let's say it again. Work on you. Remove evil as a reality by working on you. It doesn't mean that we don't protest and work on systems. It doesn't mean that we don't call other folk out. But be careful. Be, be, be careful. Get the log out of your own eye and treat people right. Remove evil as reality from your own life, from your own heart, from your own mind, from your own mindset. Work on you. Why? So true justice can prevail. 
Moses exhorted the next generation to let true justice prevail. I'm done, Antoine. How, how was it to work? Righteousness was required. Rebellion was to be remedied. A removal of evil was to be a reality. So today's message simply boils down to this. Let true justice prevail by treating everybody right. We, don't, we can't just depend on police officers in our modern-day context and judges in our modern-day context. We can't, we can't solely depend on them. Y'all, it's up to each of us to let true justice prevail. Treat everybody right according to what God said is right. And unfortunately, children of Israel would, would get into Canaan and mess this thing up. You, got, you, you, you can set up your whole law enforcement system from scratch. You can set up your whole judicial system from scratch. They eventually messed it up. They messed it up. Rather, rather than allow justice to prevail, there'd be a prevalence of injustice towards, towards the poor, towards the widows, towards orphans. They'd rebel against God. They'd, they'd allow evil to run rampant. They would mess that thing up. And throughout the annals of, of Israel's history, throughout all of the Old Testament, you see them steadily messing this thing up. Prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet trying to prophesy to the people of God so they could get it right and, and partner with God so he could turn things around. But they would not do it. They could not do it. But one day, one day, one, one day God sent the, the main remedy, the, the most powerful remedy, the, the most potent remedy, his son, Jesus Christ. One day God, God so loved the world that he, he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, although we deserve to, but have everlasting life. Wait a minute, Pastor Clark, rewind. What would you say? I said, whosoever believes in him should not perish, although we deserve to. Bring some interesting question. Where, where is the justice in an innocent son dying for guilty sinners? Where, where is the justice in a godly person dying for ungodly people? For while we were yet sinners, Christ demonstrated his love in this, that he died. For the ungodly, where's the justice in that? This justice is driven by love. Only way I can explain it is that God set up this system himself and it was driven by love. This, this justice prevails because of love. And to take it a step further, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are guilty of sin. And then God does this thing called justification. Isn't that something? Justification is a legal term. I'm done, y'all. Justification is a legal term. You stand in court. You're guilty. They, they got the video. It's clear. It's not fuzzy. It's your face. You're not wearing a mask. You're not, it's you on the videotape. And they got the fingerprints. And they got the footprints. And they got the audio. It's your voice. It's you. They have eyewitnesses. You have no alibi. You can't say you were someplace else. You were there where the crime was committed. You are flat out, all out, butt naked, bare bone, guilty. And you plead guilty. You plead guilty, but, but justification happens when God looks at one who pleads guilty of sin. But I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Then God says, I tell you what. 
Yep, you are guilty of sin. I'm going to justify you. What does that mean? I am going to declare you innocent even though you are guilty. And I'm going to treat you, justification, I'm going to treat you just as if you had not sinned. God does that? God does that. Where's the justice in that? I know, right? But it's a justice driven by love. It's a justice driven by love where God, because of his love for us, yearns and, 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 and longs to forgive us. God, because of his love for us, longs to wash our sins away. God, because of his love for us, does not want us to go to hell. He wants us to spend eternity in his presence. And the only way we can do it is if God justifies us. If God had sent his son, that's the only way it could have happened. For God to have sent the remedy, Jesus, whose love, whose power, whose spirit, whose word can get beneath the surface of our sin-stained lives. Clean us up from the inside out. I hope you've accepted him today. I hope, I hope and pray that you've accepted this remedy, the remedy, the son of God. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I pray that you have accepted him in your life. If you have not, the good news is you can get that thing right right now. This has been Dr. David Anthony Clark of the Union Grove Missionary Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. We thank you for listening. If you're ever in the Middle Georgia area, please worship with us. On the behalf of Dr. Clark, and the Union Grove family, thank you for listening.